You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. Hey, One of Us Network listeners, this is Trevor from the Nighthawks podcast, invading your space to ask you to give us a spin if you like movies. And I'm Matt, joining Trevor to ask you to join our cult. May not be a cult. Probably a cult. On the Nighthawks podcast, we cover new movies, old movies, great movies, bad movies, so bad they're good movies. And we cover movies from Norway. One movie from Norway, one time. So far. And it was a really good movie from Norway. It is a good movie from Norway. It's got Stellan Skarsgård. Matt, this is a promo for our podcast, the Nighthawks podcast. Do you want people to listen to the podcast, or do you want them to watch In Order of Disappearance? Wasn't that the point of covering In Order of Disappearance on the podcast to get people to watch it? Fair enough. Watch In Order of Disappearance and then afterwards listen to our Nighthawks podcast episode on it. Or you could listen to an episode on any of the over 120 other movies we've covered. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, and at nighthawkspodcast.com. I consider myself a sizable Stephen King fan. I mean, I'm as cynical as the next critic. Not all of this guy's stuff is great. I mean, even his great stuff is popcorn fiction on the whole. That's fine. There's literally nothing wrong with that. And I think he's undisputably the king of the popcorn fiction. The horror Charles Dickens of our generation, in the sense that Charles Dickens was also a complete populist that was really just about making money and selling books, (laughs) no matter what your English literature teacher might tell you. Stephen King has never been as much into his own work and as much, some might say, up his own ass as he was with Lisey's story, which he has claimed the original novel was the favorite thing he ever did. He considered it deeply personal. I suppose people who know a lot about King's life might look inside of this to see some of those threads. I never read a biography of him. Maybe I just don't know as much as I should. So that wasn't as clear to me, but I did read the book. For the first half of this big fucking novel, I have no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> I, sp- I was like, I literally thought about giving it up. And I, when has a Stephen King book ever been too confusing to finish? You know, that's one thing you'll say. He doesn't make his books dense. But I was like, this shit is dense. And it's jumping back and forth through time everywhere. I don't know who is who. There's a lot of characters. But once they got to the second half, I was kind of with it. Now they've got a mini series out. I was like, okay, maybe this will clear up some of my questions watching it in the visual form. Eight episode series directed by Pablo Lorraine, the Chilean filmmaker who did the just absolutely gorgeous Jackie. And I'm blanking on the name of the cinematographer right now, but a legendary cinematographer who did like seven and a bunch of other stuff produced by J.J. Abrams Productions, who I never want to see as a director, but he tends to put it all on the production team. And with a cast like Julianne Moore, Clive Owen, Jennifer Jason Lee, Dane DeHaan, Joan Allen, Ron Cephas Jones, Michael Pitt. Wow. But that being said, after watching all eight episodes, I was like, I don't really understand what's going on. And I'm kind of bored. 
Let's go to the other reviewers here. Joining me is Jordan. Why, hello there. Melina. Hello. And Bob. Hey, everybody. But he spells it backwards. Julianne Moore plays the lead here. She is the titular Lisi. When we meet her, her husband, the internationally acclaimed best-selling author Stephen King. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant <laughs> Scott Landon, <laughs> played by Clive Owen, is already dead. By the way, these two famously worked together before in Children of Men, if you remember. When we meet her, she's in shock. Scott's been dead for two years. She's being annoyed by this university professor, Dashmeal, played by Ron Cephas Jones, who wants to get access to all his papers, all the stuff that he maybe wrote and didn't finish, manuscripts, what have you, saying basically, you, you don't have the right to make the decision for this. He was a major artist and you're hurting the world. And she's like, fuck you. Well, this guy's so up his own ass that he decides he's going to, you know, talk to this kind of crazy stalker fan that he had a conversation with once and go like, yeah, maybe you could go and convince her. Yeah, that was a good move, dude. Crazy stalker fan in question being played by the always playing a crazy stalker guy, Dane DeHaan, calling himself Jim Dandy. Meanwhile, Julianne Moore has her sisters, Jennifer Jason Lee, who she continuously has an antagonistic relationship with, and their mentally ill sister Amanda, played unrecognizably by Joan Allen, who, during at least parts of the story, because it's flashing back and forth constantly from when Scott was still alive at various different points, like even when they first met, to his success, to his death, to an assassination attempt on him. But at points of this, she goes into full catatonic states, which is where she is at the present day of this. Lisi is dealing with all these different things going on, the super fan who makes himself very known that he's going to fucking hurt her, and the fact that her husband, as her late husband, as we figure out as it slowly unspools the backstory, had access to a fantasy world that was real, that he could kind of sink into and go to, that had many dangers and many things there, including a sort of beautiful pool that could heal you, but also trap you by being just fascinated, caught in its glare, sort of, until you just never wanted to leave, as when you look around, many people did. So, she's got to escape the bad kid, she's got to deal with all the people who want her husband's papers, she's got to deal with her own grief, <laughs> and she got eight episodes to do this. That was about six and a half episodes too many for Chris. I read up on what the book was, and hearing how it's King's personal favorite. I was like, I might actually be interested in this. You're kind of deterring me a bit, Chris. I kind of liked this. My main issue with this is so much plotting, pacing. I like the inspiration of what he said the story was. Like, he came back home one day, I think, from a stay in the hospital, and his wife had organized all his works into books, and it's like, oh, so this is what it's gonna be like. If he dies. The finale especially felt like a bit of a chore, considering how you think it would wrap up. Happens like 15 minutes in, you're like... Not even 15. I went back and checked. It was eight and a half minutes is basically oh the finale yeah. of the last episode. <laughs> the strongest thing out of performances. Julianne Moore gives like a great performance. Clive Owen is always fantastic. I do like Dane DeHaan, but I just want to state for the record, if anything does ever happen to me... It was Dane DeHaan. <laughs> yeah, maybe look at Dane DeHaan. I didn't realize he was already stalking you. I think the performances here are all across the board top-notch. That's far from the only top-notch thing about this series. I think there's a lot that's so good here, I just 
can't believe that it's just paced as poorly as it is. I think the cinematography is jaw-dropping. Mm-hmm. Just just beautiful. Yeah. This director knows how to shoot the shit out of a scene, and he just, every shot in this thing is obviously carefully thought out. The score is amazing and haunting. If this had been like three or four episodes, I would have been like, fucking A, I'm with you. But much like the book, it way, way overstays its welcome to the point, like, before you're even halfway done with it, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, when are we going to get to it? You both were saying, actually, that your biggest problem with this is the pacing. That was not even close to my biggest problem with this. I agree. The score, absolutely beautiful. Done by the great, amazing Clark. Is he a magician (laughs) in his spare time? (laughs) Hansel and Gretel was a great score from last year, and it was scored by Rob with a period. (laughs) I think the cinematography is just, it's so beautifully saturated, it's so colorful, it totally puts you in that vein of you're watching something fantastical. I'm going to say something that's probably going to piss a few people off, but while I was watching this, I just kept having PTSD flashbacks to another movie that I thought got way far up its own ass, and that was Lady in the Water. There were points, especially toward the end, anytime they had anything with Clive Owen, where it's constantly quoting him, it's constantly talking about the importance of story in situations that do not call for it at all. This is that level of self-indulgent where I'm rolling my eyes so much that I'm actually afraid that I might go blind or do some serious damage to my retina. I agree. I think it's super self-indulgent, the story as well. I think that's one of the problems. It's like I said in the beginning, Stephen King's so far up his own ass. I think there's cool stuff about it, but like so much stuff that should be better, considering he clearly put a lot of thought into its very ambiguousness of the story. There's a lot of stuff that's just so on the nose, it's just laughable, like something out of a YA kid story. I was like, wh- which is it? If you're going to make things this abstract, it should feel like it has mystery that you want the solutions to, and I never felt that way. I feel like y'all have put me in the pool right now, because I was going to have to rip it off like a Band-Aid. I love King stuff. <laughs> the stuff I really like, I really like. There's a couple of his books where I was like, eh, probably, you know, read something else. After episode two of this, I smashed the book, like, in two and a half days. In one of the very shocking violent scenes that we see that's mirrored from the book when Dooley first, you know, really gets his hands on Lissy's character. In the book, we learn what happens to her when she wakes up. And Apple's like, no, we're doing four minutes of, like, legit body mutilation. and tor- I mean, it's not that long, but I did like that he took the jump to more visual stuff. One thing it's not about which kills me, is it's not really about that place. We get this, it's passed down, I don't want to have kids. But to make that story work with other characters, oh, my wife can go too, oh, your sister can go too. Dooley's villain, some chilling stuff to watch on screen, but I've never seen a villain and be like, well, he's never going to kill her, like he needs all the stuff in her house. So the most king part about the whole thing to me is episode seven. The flashback to him at the theater... That was some cool stuff. Visually, I thought that was neat. That and the majority of the finale, I'm positive that as pretentious as this sounds, this was at most two hours and ten minutes. If we weren't going to go into the impetus behind this other place, Booyah Moon, and we weren't going to really give you Lizzie's story. It's called Lizzie's story, but it's really about her coming to terms with what happened to her husband, who's not even here anymore when the show starts. So we don't even really see them together except for flashbacks where neither one of them are ever on the same page unless it's a little cutesy, oh yeah, they were in love kind of scene. 
I just think so much of it is superfluous. And that killed me because, man, this is in the box that Haunting of Hill House and Blythe Manor and Penny Dreadful, the cinematic, holy shit, this doesn't look like a TV show. We're not fading to black in the middle of scenes. But, man, the stuff that we watched, even the interaction with Dooley, we just see it twice. Yeah. It's pretty much the same thing. King, this is the first time he ever wrote every word in a filmed adaptation of one of his things. You can tell because it's largely a page-for-page adaptation of the novel. There's whole areas, like you said, the professor, no reason for him to be in the story at all. Doesn't serve any real purpose. You could have skipped past him entirely. Also, the entirety of this world they go to is dealt with on so many levels like well it's a metaphor but it's not at all a metaphor because the whole plot hinges on being able to physically take people there or take people out of there and it just repeats itself over and over and over again with stuff you're like we get it you're right this could have been like maybe two and a half hours I don't know how much it actually adds up to, probably about seven hours of eight episodes, but that's way too much. I like a lot of what's going on here. I like a lot of the ideas. I will say, one of my problems is, I usually love Jennifer Jason Lee, but, oh my god, I fucking couldn't stand Darla for a good while. <laughs> you can get off the cross, so we can make wooden plaque to commemorate your sacrifices. But the thing is, she's really good as an actress, but the character itself is very one-dimensional. I like that they're sisters that aren't all best friends who constantly get along, but she never really has much to do. She's kind of extraneous by the time you get to the end of it. And Joan Allen, she does a damn good job at being unrecognizable. We had a great stable of actors here, but there's nothing really there for them. Like, I love Julianne Moore, but she's by herself half the time. Oh, I thought she excelled. I like what she did, for sure, but if you were going to tell me she was going to be an eight-hour horror series, I would have hoped for more (laughs) something. Some of these movies that are dealing with grief, which this one is more probably about trauma, but, you know, I'm being real general, that just start in one gear and stay there like yes grief is horrible but if we don't balance this more when this starts her husband's dead so the best thing we can get out of this is that she deals with all this in a way but i was thinking in my head this is like one of those ya tragic romances but for really old people right (laughs) so they can kind of dress it up make it look like it's classy the book probably would have been a killer 120 page short yeah novella yeah yeah well let's get a final thoughts jordan Definitely career best performance by Julianne Moore. Definitely up there with some of her best. Fantastic cinematography, wonderful music, plotting, pacing. I really liked episode five in particular. I thought that was a highlight for me. Seven silver shovels out of ten. And you be the judge of who's creepier, Michael (laughs) Pitt or Dane DeHaan. (laughs) Melina? I take you to a movie... Another Stephen King movie, and that's The Shining. You were talking about how you can blend metaphor and reality and actually make them one and the same. In the book and the movie of The Shining, it's like the character is dealing with alcoholism and he's struggling with demons, but at the same time, he actually is being visited by true manifestations, and they blend those so well. They both work, the literal and the metaphorical. This, it's like you spend so much time trying to unpack the metaphor and the literal and make them work together, and they just never did for me. I don't understand how to reconcile this. I feel like they barely explored it. And that's because it's spending so much time in these long, Terrence Malick-esque lingering shots of people. You're doing this too much already, and yet you keep repeating these shots over and over and over again. We get it. 
The characters were almost paper thin. Julianne Moore is trying so hard to carry this and kudos to her for doing it. But man, I was just struggling through this the whole way through. I just could not attach myself to it at any point beyond just it looking pretty. I'm going to give this two out of five pizza cutters that you should keep away from Dane DeHaan. Uh, Bob. I love so much of this. The ideas behind this, I think, are really sweet. They can go really deep, but... There's a critique of older horror movies where it's like, how are the kids going to get the ancient scroll to kill the demon in 90 minutes? How somebody that has $60 million going to get eight hours into a series and not really be concerned what's behind all this? <laughs> <laughs> this was so drawn out for me that if it had been on a more emotionally tighter-knit, shorter story, I think this would have been a great foray for King to push something that's not straight evil husband. Like, who saw that that wasn't coming? You know, you don't get a lot of husbands that you don't have to watch with the knife in his <laughs> stories. But uh, it was beautiful. I think this is probably going to be the best-looking king television adaption for several years i'm not a big fan of the other world the way that it was so saturated i didn't mind that it was dark i just thought that like the whole fucking show was dark so we don't need to just go darker for half of it <laughs> but uh, spiritually i mean the music was great clark did a great job it looks great the performers were cool titles were good the ending music of the last two tracks were really good i hope we get a soundtrack but I'm going to go a uh, really tepid six out of ten reasons to get a fucking fence, man. Like, <laughs> I know that you want to live free and just be out there, but this wasn't the way to do it. They're in Maine. They're like, who's coming up here? <laughs> Psychos. And speaking yeah. of that, I have a new thing to add to my list of rules in horror that they can do in a next Scream movie or whatever if they want. I mean, first off, obviously, the most dangerous thing you can do in a horror movie is have sex and do drugs at the same time. Obviously, you're just begging to die. But the second most dangerous thing you can do in a horror movie is be a cop assigned to watch the house where you're afraid something might happen to the people inside. You're going to die and not even like impressively. It'll probably just be like, just, um, it may even be off screen, but you're definitely <laughs> going to die. Anyway, Lizzie's story was, uh, really, really beautiful and impressive for about an episode and a half, two episodes before I realized, Jesus Christ, they're just kind of cycling the same thing, just like the book did. I, I was very quickly bored by this, despite all the good things about it that we've all said. But the story, which starts with a cool premise and has cool aspects to it and cool one-act play scenes, especially some of the stuff that happens during Scott's life as a child, when we flash back to that stuff, which I really, I love Michael Pitt, man. He's great, and he plays the fucked-up dad, and he's terrific in this. Aside from stuff like that, most of the story's just, eh, with some really bad dialogue. Like, there's one line where Stan DeHaan says to Julianne Moore, something like, I'm gonna touch you where you were afraid of guys knowing about your dirty parts or something, which is like such a Stephen King generic line. I was like, oh my god, that was embarrassing. All the actors in this deserve something better. Some of these actors shouldn't have been in this at all because their characters shouldn't have even been in this. And it should have been considerably shorter. I hate the fact that I have to kind of damn this thing. There is so much good work in it, but it is what it is. This is just boring as shit. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. give this three and a half out of ten of the sloppiest kisses of all time. <laughs> Now, we do need to say, if you are going to attempt the Stephen King drinking game, do make sure to have someone on standby. Oh, it's in Maine? Shot. Fucking religious zealot character? Shot. Right. Oh, uh, it's about writing. Psychiatric <laughs> hospital? Lighthouse? Shot. 